Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church family. Excited to be here with you. If you're new, my name's Corey. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. Get to be your teaching pastor uh, for today as we kick off um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I said in the first service that I was just as excited as you to see how this goes because uh, I rewrote the whole sermon last night about 1030. And so uh, I've been through it once already and uh, I think the Lord um, was faithful and provided a new uh, exactly what we needed today. I also found out in our meeting earlier, like Jeff had rewritten the call to confession and is the assurance of pardon. That's something that we take you all through. I had rewritten the sermon. So it turns out whenever you give to God, you give God your plans, he just laughs at you sometimes. And so that's what he did for us today. And so I'm, uh, I'm pumped, man, to get into it. Let me kind of set it up for you uh, like this. We've started the, the series here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're calling it Corinth Q&A. And so 1 Corinthians was really written uh, as a response from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth as they had a few questions uh, that they were asking him, and he's responding back to them. So we don't have all those questions, but we do have a bit of an understanding as to what some of those questions most certainly uh, would have been. And so Corinth was full of just ordinary people. It was an ordinary town. Uh, a total ordinary church similar to us. Corinth was, I don't mean this to be funny, but serious. Like Corinth was super jacked up in their understanding of what it meant uh, to follow the Lord. They were messy. They were sinful. They did all sorts of things that were Christian, uh, inappropriate in regards to Christianity, but totally appropriate according to the culture around them. And so if ever you look at Heights community and you go, oh wow, you guys are a mess, uh, there's always Corinth. And so we are JV in comparison to Corinth. Um, and at the same time, probably we're probably just as messy uh, and depraved as Corinth as well, and just as, as of need of Jesus. And so last week we looked at in the park, uh, what is the gospel? This is a question that I got to address. Super fun. This week, part of Corinth Q&A, uh, we're asking, uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit over the next 15 weeks. Most chapters address uh, the Holy Spirit. So all I can do today is answer that kind of based off of uh, chapter 2. And so I'd written a whole sermon, uh, and I just did not feel settled in my spirit. I, uh, and so I rewrote it uh, last night. And so I'm excited to get to give it uh, to you, read through it for the second time uh, myself today. And I think the Lord will use it. Amen. We all have a saying around here, when in doubt, just preach the text. So I'm going to preach the text for you today. All right. Let me start with prayer. God in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to get to be the church today. Uh, thank you for leading us faithfully in worship just a little bit ago, God. It's beautiful to see, like, even as, as Jeff has kind of put some things on pause and rewrote some things, and then even my sermon today, and even the song we finished with, I, I almost called Jeff. I almost called him and asked him if we could finish with that song, and it was already in there. So your spirit uh, is at work. You were using us as broken, sinful men that have been redeemed uh, by Christ to lead your church. And so we thank you, Lord, uh, for that. As always, God, I pray today, I need your strength and your confidence, not my own, uh, lest I lead people to follow me instead of you. 
Uh, God, I need you to, as I pray weekly, uh, anoint my vocal cords. God, help me to speak good gospel-centered truth uh, to your people. God, help anoint my ears. Help me to hear and be attentive uh, to your Holy Spirit. As we engage, then help me to, God, anoint my eyes. Help me to see the word clearly. Uh, see a clear line in the sermon uh, for your people. Not a, not a sermon for anyone else, God, just for your people this morning. We pray again that you would show up for the second time today. The best part of today, Lord, is that we get to do this uh, twice. And so thank you, God, for the gift even of two gatherings today so we get to enjoy you and be in your presence. Uh, we pray all this in the sweet and powerful and perfect name of Jesus. All God's people said... Amen and amen. So based off of chapter two, I have uh, three points for you. If you're a note taker, the big idea is just simply, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? That's the, the question that we're asking and answering today based off of chapter two, not based off of something exhaustive or off of, you know, we could talk every day for the next 16 weeks about the Holy Spirit and we would not begin to cover the surface of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to give you what I have based off chapter two. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Three points I have given to you, and that is this. The Holy Spirit gives the testimony of God. He gives the testimony of God. He preaches, teaches, reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the people of God as well as those who are coming to faith. He gives the testimony. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he demonstrates the power of God. He demonstrates the power of God. It's on display for us both then and most certainly now. He demonstrates the power of God for those of you that are taking notes. And the third thing then that the Holy Spirit does is he provides discernment from God. He provides discernment from God for us. Holy Spirit gives testimony, demonstrates power, Provides discernment. If it sounds good, say, sounds good. All right. The Holy Spirit then gives the testimony of God. Point number one, gives the testimony of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. When you say ready, and when you're ready, say ready. ready. There it is. Paul says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so it's important that we understand the culture of Corinth this morning. Not everything, but there are some things here that we need to know. Uh, the first is this, that Corinth was full of great debaters. Some of the most incredible philosophers in the history of philosophy uh, came out of Corinth, many of which we would read about, talk about in a philosophy class uh, in university or college somewhere else. And so we're still talking about some of these men. And it was culturally appropriate for them to kind of have these public debates where men would come into town and they would want to make a name for themselves. They would kind of want to be exalted in the city among other men and even above other men. So these men would kind of come into the town, specifically Corinth, and they would say, hey, they kind of call out the other great debaters and they would have this public verbal uh, face-off, if I may kind of word it that way, and everybody would rally around. It would be a whole spectacle, right? They wanted to be seen as wise and they wanted to have lofty speech and they wanted to come with like new ideas is to present during that time so that they would stand out head and shoulders above those other orators of the time. And so what's interesting though about that is that as it pertained to their kind of oratory work, the content of their message did not matter as much as the delivery of their message. 
And so they would come in and say seemingly nothing at all, but if they could kind of sway the crowd or move the crowd a little bit, well, then you could win the verbal face-off just simply based off your presentation, even if the content was not very good. And so the content did not matter as much as the delivery of the message. It was more important. And so Paul, whenever he comes in here and Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I came to you, brothers, not with lofty speech. I didn't come to you with any new form of wisdom, right? I, I came only with one thing, and that was a demonstration of the Spirit and a demonstration of the power of God. He's saying, I, I literally come in here countercultural in a way that's different than what everyone else would have done. He didn't come in using big words or trying to be lavish or trying to draw a crowd to himself. Rather, he comes in with the simplicity of the gospel so that the simplicity of the gospel would demonstrate the power of God. And so he comes in completely countercultural than what anyone else around him would have done, which is so fascinating, right? He doesn't tailor the message to the audience. He keeps the message the same and just delivers it where he is. Now, that's crazy to do as a communicator, right? I have a little bit of experience now with public speaking, right? I get to do it for you all the time and do it for others. And last week, I got asked to go teach a pastor's conference. And one of the first questions I ask if someone asks me to come communicate something is I don't say, hey, what's the topic? I will regularly ask, what's the audience, right? Turns out <laughs> I only have one message. I got one sermon in my back pocket every week, and it's Christ crucified. I've totally duped you into coming week in and week out, right? I've got one message, but the audience determines the way by which I deliver that message. So when I go to a pastor's conference, I'm not as explaining as much, perhaps, as I would explain here, under the assumption that they kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. If I'm talking with the students, I'm going to talk a lot different and use different illustrations and different examples. I'm probably going to talk more about my childhood and the ridiculous things that I've done. When I come in here, I'm going to explain a great deal more than what I would somewhere else. And so the message doesn't change, but as a communicator, you would regularly cater your delivery to the people that are there. Well, that's what they did in their context. But Paul comes in and he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tailor the message, all right, but I'm not going to do it in a way that dupes you. I'm not using lofty speech. I'm not going to come with some new worldly wisdom. I'm not going to change the message. The message remains the same, and he only has one, and it's Christ crucified. But the way by which he gives that message to them, while it's much different than the culture, it is very fitting for them. Why would he do that? Why does he come in and just kind of share this gospel, not with lofty speech, not with new wisdom? Well, because it's the testimony of God. It doesn't need lofty speech. It doesn't need some kind of newfound wisdom. It doesn't have to be very intriguing and engaging. You should definitely put the work in, but as it um, comes to the gospel itself, to quote Kanye West, which is the only thing we can quote from Kanye West up here, is you don't need to put any sauce on the word, right? It's good the way that it is. It's tasteful the way that it is. It is easily taken in the way that it is. And so he doesn't come in with any sauce on the word, but rather he comes in with humility and he comes in low and he comes in trembling so that he can share this gospel with the people. In verse 10, if we were to read it, which we stopped at nine, but if we were to read 10, it says, anything that you've ever learned about Jesus, you have learned by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit that has given you the testimony of God. It is the Holy Spirit that has revealed the gospel to you in its totality. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that change to you through the word of God, by the people of God, by the Spirit himself. And so that then tells us if someone gets up before you, either in this room or in a different room, and they come in with lofty speech, or they have some kind of newfound wisdom, or they're trying to manipulate the word of God, it is not the testimony of God anymore. 
right? Everything that we say and do from this stage and in our life, I should say the platform of your life, should be to exalt Jesus Christ and him crucified, not ourselves, not in any way. And so Paul comes in, man, and I just imagine he would have been like, as he's sitting there with his brothers and sisters, just pleading with them. Like, do you guys know, like, the cross has always been the goal. That was always the goal from the foundation of the foundation. And there's power in that cross, and there's forgiveness for sins that have been found in that cross. And there's a resurrected Jesus that comes post that cross, the very power that spoke creation, spoke new creation when he rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's that very power, that very Holy Spirit that you get given to you. And it's the same spirit that spoke the heavens and spoke creation. Oh, it speaks new creation to you. That's the simplicity of the gospel, yeah? It's not simplistic, but it is simple. And to which I imagine some of them in the church, just like our church, would be like, well, how do you know, Paul? How do you know this testimony is good? How do you know it's enough? I imagine Paul would have said, well, let me tell you a story. And if you know the story of Paul at all, you know. Paul is not always the Paul that we know, is he? So I imagine Paul would have said, well, as a matter of fact, I know this gospel to be true because I was on my way to kill and murder many of you and unjustly put you in prison unfairly put you in prison, fabricated some documents to be able to put you in prison, as a matter of fact. That's how zealous I was for your death and your persecution. But man, there was a Jesus that knocked me off my horse one day, blinded me. I had no idea who he was, and yet all I knew to say in that moment was, Lord, Lord. (laughs) Paul knew nothing about Jesus, but at the same time, he knew everything about Jesus that day, didn't he? That is the testimony of the gospel. It's the testimony of God. It's the Holy Spirit that uses the simplicity of this message to reveal Jesus and what he has done and what he can do for you, for me, and also for Paul. It is the Holy Spirit, though, that shares the testimony of God. Are we together on that? Second point, then, is this. The Holy Spirit, I love this, demonstrates the power of God. The Holy Spirit demonstrates the power of God. Starting in verse 3. He says this in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, right? Not in lofty speech, not in great wisdom, not as a great orator or a great debater of the time, not looking to draw a crowd, right? I was with you, Paul. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's what the gospel does to you. Verse 4. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Second time he said it. But what were they in? But in demonstration of the spirit and of what? Three of you. And of what? Better say it with some unction, church family. Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the what? But in the power of God. And so Paul comes teaching, not so that people would look at him and say, Oh, Paul, what a great sermon. But he comes preaching and teaching so that people would look at him and say, Oh, Paul, what a great savior. That's exactly who I've been looking for. That's exactly who I need. How did you know, right? The testimony of Jesus Christ crucified. That's all Paul comes with. And as he shares the simplicity of this gospel, there's a demonstration of power that the people see and a demonstration of power that they felt within the church. And there's a demonstration of power that they felt all within the city around them. So much so, you can say, how do you know, pastor? Because we're still talking about the Corinthians. That's how we know. Whenever Paul comes in and he preaches the gospel and a bomb goes off in the heart of the Corinthians and we're still talking about it 2,000 years later and it still brings motivation, yeah? 
The word there in the Greek for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Oh, the Holy Spirit is chocked full of dynamite, isn't he? We were driving through uh, West Virginia a few weeks ago, coming back from, <laughs> from vacation. And I was staring out the window, just kind of daydreaming, I guess. Should have been paying attention. But um, I was staring at the, the beauty of the West Virginia mountains. I mean, it's beautiful out there, yeah? And I was uh, sitting there talking to my wife, Andrea, and I was like, man, think about this, babe. Like, there's probably like a dude on horseback at some point. And he rolls up on the be- these beautiful mountains and some other, some, I don't know, one of his comrades... He's Russian, comes up and he's like, we gonna, well, boss, we're going to go around these mountains? And think about this. There was a dude at one point that was like, nope, we're going to punch a hole right through those mountains. We're going to go right through them, get the dynamite. And in so doing, now we get to pass straight through the mountains in West Virginia, get from here to North Carolina, South Carolina, wherever you're going. Think about that. He said, no, we're going to punch a hole right through it. Paul says, my, my speech was... Simple. Why? Oh, so I could demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the gospel tells us that while we were created for a great deal more, church family, that our hearts, as we read, our hearts are made of hearts of stone if we're outside of Christ Jesus. And we kind of read that in black and white text and we go, oh yeah, that's a bummer. We need a heart of flesh and let's bump on as Christians. But I would argue with you today as one of the debaters of your time that your heart is not just a heart of stone, but it is equal to what it would take to blast through the mountains in West Virginia. Like that's the heart of stone. It is a mountainous range that exists in there whenever you are apart from Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he demonstrates his power, not just by one explosion. It wasn't just one piece of dynamite, was it? Oh, but as you like engage in the word of God and you engage the people of God and you walk out missional community and you engage in the word, the word begins to come alive and the very power of the word of God we learned about in the book of Hebrews sinks deep inside of you. And as you read God's word, it begins to read you. And it just lights a fuse after fuse after fuse and dynamite begins to go off in our chest. That's what the gospel does. It blows a hole in your chest. And now everything begins to look different. You begin to think differently about everything. The very power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave is the very power that resides in those of you who profess faith in Jesus. And it is a dynamite power that you have been Given explosion after explosion is what turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The gospel is very simple. You do not need lofty speech (laughs) to crack the stone. You need only the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's available to you. A simple testimony that is chalked full of dunamis power. And so Paul does not come into uh, persuade, but to share the gospel with fear and trembling and humility and in so doing a bomb goes off in the heart of the Corinthian church so much so if you're here as a skeptic today you can rest assured we're still talking about that bomb matter of fact you might be able to say we might still be feeling the vibrations of that bomb amen chapter one last week I read in the park to you to further push this point verse 22 says this for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom But what do we do? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the what? 
Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God stronger than men. Corinth wanted lofty speech. Paul says, not today. The Jews in Corinth said, well, give us some kind of sign and miracle. Paul said, nope. Rather, what does Paul do? Simply shares the simplicity of the gospel. I imagine if he were to share the gospel, it would have went something like this. Hey, did you know that you were created in the image of God? Created with dignity and value and and purpose. But your original parents, Adam and Eve, well, they sinned against God. They chose creation over creator. They chose their own wisdom instead of his wisdom and foolishness. They rebelled against the God, the author of all life that had given them all things. And instead of putting them to immediate death, there was a perfect father there that said, I'm going to send my son and he's going to die in your place as your substitute. And the son lived the perfect life that you could not live. And the son died the death that you deserve to die, that I deserve to die. And the son resurrected to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the son has sent you that very spirit to set you free. And now you'll continue sinning. And in so doing, it's just a reminder that the son's forgiveness is eternal and lasts forever. That is power. That is also the simplicity of the gospel. And it don't need any sauce, does it? It is good the way it is. The simplicity of the gospel is all the dynamite that they need, church family, and it is all the dynamite that we need. We have people who ask us all the time. We, I'll bet you almost weekly, pastors will call, they'll text, they'll email, they'll check in, and they'll say, what do you attribute to the growth at the Heights? They always call it the Heights, but it's just Heights, or Heights Community, or HCC. It's pretty much anything but the Heights, Okay. They always say that. What do you attribute to the growth at the heights? And we always answer the same way. We always say, first off, we have no idea what we're doing. And secondly, uh, we don't do anything real sexy around here. We just preach straight through books of the Bible, and we share the gospel, and folks come to faith. And that's really about it, isn't it? We just preach the simplicity of the gospel, and bombs keep going off in our chest. That is the dunamis, dynamite, power of the Holy Spirit. He reveals the testimony of God. The Holy Spirit is powerful to reveal the testimony of God. There is no other message nor any other miracle that will ever be as powerful as the gospel. And so Paul does not come with lofty speech or some kind of special wisdom. Rather, he just comes with the gospel and God uses it. Third point here then is this. The Holy Spirit provides discernment uh, from God. Provides discernment from God. Verse 5. He said, I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come with wisdom. I just came and preached Christ crucified. Verse 5. So that uh, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, uh, but in the power of God. Verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We do give some wisdom to the mature. Another word for Christian here in the text. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, well, why not? Well, because they're doomed to pass away. Verse 7, but we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, listen to me now, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, I'll read it now, I'll read it again in a moment. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, Uh, what God has prepared for those uh, who love him. So the last thing Paul says here is, it's actually super complicated. I don't know, we're back to preaching Paul now. So he doesn't use any periods. He just does a lot of run-on sentences and he's grammatically, and it's gotta be in a great deal of Greek grammatical error here, Um, but is inspired by the word. So we trust it, yeah. 
Paul says there, um, how I word this, Paul says that there are two powers at play in the world. I'll say it like that. There's two powers at play in the world. There are two wisdoms at play here in the world. There are two glories that are at play here in the world. And so he's kind of laying out for us that there is the, the wisdom of the world and then there's the wisdom of God. And he's also saying then that there's the, the glory of man that we aim for apart from Christ. And there's also then the glory of God that we seek when we're in Christ. He says then there's a, a spirit of the world, which is demonic and Satan. And then there's a, a spirit of God, the Holy Spirit sent by the Father into his people. And so he's kind of laying out this dichotomy for us then, which then kind of leads us to respond at least by asking a question, are we walking in the spirit or not? Because the reality is, if there are kind of two powers at play, we're either going to turn to God or we're going to turn from God. But you can't do both. And so as you're looking at this, right, there's a worldly wisdom and there's a godly wisdom to which I have to ask then as your pastor is this, to who, which wisdom are you seeking? Who, what do you spend more time listening to? What do you spend more time reading, right? Do you spend more time listening to Joe Rogan than you do 1 Corinthians? It's not that Joe Rogan doesn't have good things to give to you at times, I'm sure there's some good in the midst of all the language and psychedelics. There's something probably in there for you. But the reality is, do you spend more time listening to him than you spend in the word? Because if you are, then you're getting more wisdom from the world than you're getting from the word. As it pertains to glory, he's saying there's two glories that are at play here. There's the glory of man, but there's also the glory of God. And so as you think about your world and you think about your life and you think about the power of the Holy Spirit taking up residence, whose glory do you live for? Is it always about the next? Like it's about the next home and the next life and the, or the next wife or the next kid that I need to have or the next vocation I need to have or the next promotion that I need to have or the next spouse that I need to have even though you're currently married or the next girlfriend that I need to have or is it always about your glory or are you utilizing the things that God has given you for his glory? Right? The, the beauty of what we call missional community isn't about adding anything new to your life. Being in a missional community is about saying, to whose glory, whose glory am I living for right now? Right? God has given incredible gifts for his glory. And our job as Christians is to take the incredible gifts that God's given them and then allow him to use them to advance his glory, not our own glory. So there are two spirits that are at work in the world, church family. There is one that is demonic that hates you. The only thing he loves about you is whenever you fail walking out Christianity. And then he sets over you while you feel guilt and while you feel shame and while you feel disconnected from the Father and while you beat yourself up and while you're ridden with anxiety and you're suffering with depression or you're thinking about going back to a bottle or going back to some dysfunctional relationship. That's when the spirit of this world sets over you and just claps. That's exactly what I want for him. Not the Holy Spirit. He wants his dismal power on display in your life to try to keep you dependent upon him. And so as you fail walking out Christianity, he says to me, he's like, all right, I'm going to take another one down with me. He's already lost the battle. Now he just wants to take as many of us with him as he can. Or is it the Holy Spirit's power where you're like, I, have, I do fail. And I experience grief and I have sorrow and I'm experiencing some shame and I'm ridden with depression. God, I got anxiety. And at the same time, there's a crucified Jesus that can fully identify with me in every single aspect of my brokenness. And he sent the Holy Spirit to bring healing. He sends the Holy Spirit to build me back up. I don't need to go out to the world. I've got everything I need in his word. I've got everything I need in his people. Dysfunctional mess that the church is. Amen. 
I got everything I need. Here's the reality of the situation. God speaks. He's speaking to you right now. The Lord speaks through his word, through his people, and through his spirit. And if those three things don't line up, he ain't saying it. Through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. You've got to be able to engage the word and engage the spirit. There is no other way to say it than the way that Paul says it. There is a special hidden wisdom that has been given to the saints. Where it doesn't make any sense to the world at all, but man, it makes all the sense to us. That's okay. I try to think of like every different way I could say what the text says, and there's literally no other way to say it than this. For the Christian, the gospel just makes all the sense in the world. But for the non-believing, to those who are perishing, chapter 1 says, oh, it is foolishness to them, isn't it? And when in doubt, just preach and be dependent upon the text. There's this beautiful reality here that Paul is laying out. This kind of, I call it a dichotomy, right? Tension in the text. Spirit of the world versus Holy Spirit. Glory of man versus the glory of God. Wisdom of the world versus spiritual wisdom. He's kind of laying out that tension for us so that it calls us then to ask that question, well, which glory do I follow? Which wisdom do I follow? Who do I care more about spending time with? What am I listening to? It's important that Paul lays this out for his culture because in his culture there was something called Gnosticism or being a Gnostic. The Gnostics thought that they had special revelation from the Lord, that the more that they knew, the greater their worship was. And the more that they knew, the more God had given them favor. Well, I can tell you there's some people in the church that think the more they know, the closer they are to Jesus. And I don't want to sit and have a cup of coffee with them. Do you? Right, there's, a, there's Gnostics that were here. There's still Gnostics that exist in the church. They think if their theology is in the right place, their doctrine is in the right place, if they know just a little bit more than everyone else, well, then they're just in a little bit higher tier than everyone else. That's called Gnosticism. It's modern-day Gnosticism in the church. And so Paul says here, there is a special wisdom, but it ain't the wisdom you think it is. And there is a glory that is to come, but oh, it's not the glory that you think it is. Right? And there's this insight that you can have and it can be given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not what you think it is. What is it? Oh, it is just Christ and him crucified. It is the simplicity of the gospel put on display for the people and it is powerful enough. Listen to me. It's powerful enough to shake the foundations of history. We're still talking about Corinth right now, which is evidence if you're in the room as a skeptic or perhaps as a non-believer and you go, how do I know, pastor? Of course you believe this. You're a Christian. How can I know? How can I know that what you're saying is actually true? And it's genuinely, the answer is genuinely because we're still talking about Corinthians. But we're not up here talking about all the philosophy of their time, are we? We're just talking about the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. I shared this in the park, and I think it's worth mentioning here for you as well. There's a way that you can know the power of the Holy Spirit is still at play by the way people are advocating for things in our culture. The things that we advocate for in our culture are strictly from a Christian perspective or a Christian worldview or a Christian framework. In the culture of Corinth, there was no such thing as compassion. There was no such thing as empathy or forgiveness. That wasn't a thing. Their job was to come in and elevate themselves and elevate political powers and elevate the, the armies of the time and then to go and conquer everything. So the framework that you have for compassion ministries, the framework you have for forgiveness or the framework that you have to have some empathy for someone who might be going through something different than you, that is a strictly Christian worldview. 
a Christian framework. It didn't come out of anything Roman, anything that was in their culture. I can push it even further in light of our culture then. If you ever heard of something called a prison ministry, that's a strictly Christian thought. Not that it's just a prison ministry, but to have compassion on those who are in jail. That's a strictly Christian thought. The idea of hospitals and loving people who are sick. Do you know that in their culture, they weren't even allowed to touch sick people? Or for they thought it would make them unclean and they would get whatever they had. The idea of a hospital is a strictly Christian principle. The idea for equal rights, foster, adoption, environmental awareness, health care, social justice, identifying social injustices. Those are all strictly Christian in thought. They didn't come from any other world religion. They came from Christianity. And what's cool about that is it began in Corinth. And so whenever you look at the world and you see people advocating for things that seem Christian, it's because they literally are. And every time you look at the culture around you and you see people advocating for things that sound like they should be of Christ, man, that's another bomb going off in the culture. That's evidence of God's grace and God's mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit revealing and sharing the testimony of God to the world around them. But that message falls short if the church doesn't step in and say, hey, let me explain to you who you're feeling right now. Let let me share with you what's actually happening in society around you. As you see this thing, you feel like it's pointing you to someone greater. It's the church's responsibility, church family, to come and say everything that you're longing for, that you're seeing, all the solutions to your problems are found in Jesus Christ, the crucified Savior. Paul comes with the simplicity of this gospel. And as you learn then, all that to say, as you learn, not just that the gospel saves you for your salvation, man, but how to apply the gospel, how to get in the word, how to see Jesus in the scriptures, everything pointing to the cross and his resurrection as the Holy Spirit begins to take up root in you and this bombs begin to go off in your heart. What happens is you begin to see the gospel as a framework for the world around you. And what I mean by that then is that things you once found beautiful are no longer beautiful. The things you once wanted to spend your time with, they were kind of a waste of time, they start to kind of go away. Some of the grudge that you had against other people or the forgiveness that you withheld from someone in your life, you're like, how can I withhold something if I've been forgiven? How can I not show compassion on someone if I've been shown compassion? How can I not have empathy for someone who's hurting? If I was the one that was hurting and Christ came in his life, his death, his resurrection, oh, it set me free by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, in concert with the Spirit, gives you discernment for the world that is around you. And the beautiful aspect of that is that God used everything that the world longs for to bring redemption. God used everything that the world longs for to bring redemption to us. Right? The world desired glory, so they killed the Lord of glory, and he used it for your salvation. The, the world desired wisdom, And the word, wisdom himself, came in the flesh and they put him to death, Paul said. Why? For your glory and for your salvation. Think about it. Everything that the world thought was wise, God revealed as foolish in the cross of Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that uses that message then to lead many people to faith. No one saw that coming. No one. They expected a white knight to come in to save the day, to conquer the empire, and to kill all the Jews. They got a baby that was born in a manger to an ignoble family with no name. (laughs) Their family had no name of reputation, I mean. And it changed everything that we know about the world right now. That's God using the foolishness, the wisdom of men to reveal his foolishness. No one saw it coming, and no one has any idea what's coming next. Revelation gives us an idea, but we can't fathom what's to come. The last thing Paul said in this text is none of the rulers of this age understood this. 
For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, and what God has prepared for those who love him. This is written, this is Old Testament language that the Apostle Paul is quoting here. He's saying they had no idea what was coming. And yet God knew exactly what was to come. And what was to come was not just the death of Jesus' church family, but the resurrection of Jesus. Happy Easter. (laughs) And he sends you the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, man, he gives you discernment. He reveals the gospel testimony to you, reveals his power to you, and then gives you discernment. So why don't you all stand with me as I move us into a time of reflection here for communion. I'll get it set up for you while the team is uh, coming in today. Uh, Every day we try to, every Sunday we try to usher you in to the table for communion, uh, calling you to confess, uh, to repent as the scriptures call you to do, and as you should most certainly do. But we were challenged this last week to think about something a little different in light of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads you to confess sin, that areas, avenues of your life that look less like Jesus than, or they look more like you than they look like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that leads that confession. It's the Holy Spirit that leads you to repent. That word repent means to to actually look at what you've traded for the cross of Christ, to, to look at this idol in your life, this thing you love more than Jesus, and actually go, I'm done putting faith in that. I'm actually going to put faith in this Jesus that hangs on this cross and resurrects for me. That's what repentance means. And you should confess and you should repent. First Corinthians teaches that about communion. But what I want to do today as they begin to fire up up here is I want to invite you not just to confess and to repent because the reality is there's many in the room that are walking out confession and repentance, but you're still not experiencing the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we were challenged to think about this week is that it's just that. Some of you are walking out confession and repentance and praise the Lord. But there's a lot of you in the room, as Pastor Jeff alluded to, you haven't taken time to just simply ask the Spirit to heal you. So you've been confessing, you've been repenting, but you haven't asked the the Holy Spirit to step in and just heal an aspect of your life. Perhaps something that's happened 10 years ago and it's leading you to harbor forgiveness while you're the one that's been forgiven. Maybe it's something that happened yesterday and it's leading you to have compassion or empathy on someone else. And so you're genuinely trying to confess, genuinely trying to repent, but you haven't come to the Father and said, by your power alone, Lord, could you just heal this area of my life? And so what I want to do is lead you through just a moment of prayer. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in. He's already here. We're not inviting him to do anything new, are we? But we're going to invite him to come in. If you need to confess and repent, the Spirit leads you to that. Praise the God and do that. Maybe it's the first time you'll do that today. Praise the Lord. Come and eat communion for the first time. But I know for certain that we just need to ask for healing. Someone lead us in a prayer for that. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you give us to come and to confess. God, we do confess. We, we care way more about our glory than your glory. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. We care way more about our wisdom. We think we have it all figured out than we care about your wisdom. We care way more about self-exaltation and how people view us than how they view you. And so we do confess that, and and so we will repent of that, God. Help us to believe that your glory is enough. Help us to believe that you being exalted is enough. Help us to believe that your wisdom is enough. Give us the same holy fear and tremble and humility that the Apostle Paul says he comes and declaring to Corinth, God, and let that message of the gospel will be the same message that we hear today. And Father, may it empower us today 
to confess and to repent and to do it apart from the spirit of the world that says you should feel shame or ignorance or defeat, uh, but rather, God, help us rest in your goodness today. God, give us, remind us of your grace, remind us of your mercy. And at the same time, Lord, there are many women and men in the room, myself included in this. God, we're genuinely trying to walk out confession and repentance. We're genuinely coming to the altar. We come in here today and we raise our hands, not necessarily because we believe the song, but because we needed to believe the song. We need you to be true. And we're coming and we're saying, hey, we're trying to do these things, not from a legalistic heart, not from a religious tendency. God, we want you. We want your power. We want to be seen. We want to be known. And so I want to ask with that in mind now, Lord, could you heal the areas of our lives that are hindering our worship? God, maybe it's a past relationship, a lack of forgiveness given to someone. God, maybe it's something equally as devastating like abuse, perhaps physical, sexual, emotional abuse and the enemy has used that as a stronghold to keep us from your presence, God, would you kill it today? God, maybe it is addiction, perhaps a bottle of liquid, maybe a bottle of pills, Lord. We just keep thinking in our wisdom, that'll be the thing that sets us free. That'll, that'll numb, numb us a bit. That'll kill the pain. That'll give us rest at night. God, there's people in the room right now that have transitioned from, from a drink to a bottle to stay asleep. Father, we just set them free today. We just set them free, Lord. Many in the room don't profess faith in you. The enemy's given them every excuse in the world to run from you. God, may the vibration of that gospel bomb that went off in Corinthians shake them to the core today. God, blow a hole in their soul. Lead them to repentance, God. Let them see their sin and not find guilt, God, but find the grace of the gospel set them free. For the marriages in the room, God, where the, they can't seem to get it figured out, God, would you bring healing to their marriage? For the man or woman in the room that thinks marriage is going to be the thing that finally sets them free, God, give them healing. Whatever it may be, you know. Your spirit knows, Lord. And we're asking by the power of that spirit, God, would you set us free today? We come to you pleading, asking before we come to the table. I pray this in the sweet name of Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, as we read every week, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's in communion, church family, that we proclaim the testimony of God and we proclaim the power of God on display. And it's communion that God gives us to help us to discern where have I cared more about my glory or my wisdom or the way people see me over your glory, your wisdom, and the way that I see you. And so communion is an opportunity this morning to come back into the presence of God, man, to take and to eat and to feast and to do so, not for your glory in a way that exalts you, but in a way that foreshadows there's a much better banquet that's coming that there's a better feast that's coming. It's not going to be in some measly little cup or piece of bread, but it's going to be the best of meats and the finest of wines, and you get to feast with the king forevermore. 
apart from suffering, apart from shame, uh, but just in the presence of Christ. And all you will know in that moment is the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal that is for the Christian. Uh, We invite the Christian to come forward when you're ready.